Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 34 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today has been making headlines as of late. She's the host of ROH Week by Week. She's also the ROH Backstage Correspondent. She is the ever-popular Quinn McKay. Quinn, welcome to the show. Hi, oh. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> great to great to speak with you. Uh, it's it's been a little a while. Well, I should say I should say welcome back to the show because this is actually your second appearance on the ROH Strong podcast, which that puts you in pretty select company. Only a few people have uh, have been on the show more than once. I'm honored. Well, it, and it is it is my honor to have you here. It truly is. Um, so let's you know you were on a segment a few months ago. And at the time, we discussed your ongoing war of words with Angelina Love. And um, if you recall that conversation, I expressed my concern that if it continued, Angelina would get physical with you. And sure enough, Angelina and Mandy Leone, but mostly Angelina, Mm -hmm. attacked you on ROH week by week several weeks ago. And as a result, they have been suspended indefinitely. Yes. Now, you have vowed to fight Angelina when her suspension is up, whenever that may be, because it's an indefinite suspension. Um, And you revealed on ROH uh, week by week that you've actually, uh, you started, you started in ROH by training professional wrestling at the ROH dojo. And then the opportunity presented itself for you to join the broadcast team. So I just wanted to set the stage here. That's what's been going on. But we'll get to Angelina and all that uh, later in the show. Okay, I'm sure we will. Yes, we will. We have to. But now that the cat's out of the bag, uh, that you do indeed have a background in the ring, I figure this would be a great time to tell the Quinn McKay origin story. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see. I see the logic there. Okay. Origin story almost kind of makes you sound like a superhero almost. It really does. It really does. That's what I immediately thought of. This is not the first Clark Kent reference that I have received. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So let's start at the beginning then. When did you first become a wrestling fan? So I first, I have two older siblings, but they're all quite a bit older than I am. My sister's 11 years older than I am and my brother's 15 years older than I am. So I think that it's safe to say that I was an unexpected gift, um, to put it, (laughs) to put it lightly and, and not something horribly mean, like calling myself an accident. I would never say that, but I don't think that I was expected to come along. So when I was really young, my brother and sister were already like basically preteens, teenagers. My brother was super into wrestling. So he watched it a lot and I kind of got it by way of that but he moved out and joined the navy when i was a a toddler essentially um but i really got back into wrestling and became like a really diehard fan whenever i moved to a new high school 
um, the second semester of my freshman year of high school. So like I was a new kid in a really small town. I'm, I'm from really small towns. Like the first school that I went to, I think my graduating class ended up being like 78 or something. And then the new school that I moved to ended up being like 130. So there's not a lot to do in towns like that. And I met this girl who happens to be like my very best friend to this day. Her name's Mia. And she and her brother were huge WWE fans. And I started hanging out with her and one of the things that she did and one of the things that we bonded over was every Monday night she watched Raw with her brother and they made snacks. And so it was like this first activity that made me feel included in something in like a new environment. And I think it's really hard for like girls at that age in general because like you're already going through, you're going through it. <laughs> <laughs> so I found an ally in a wrestling fan who turned me into a wrestling fan and we went to so many pay-per-views together. We went to so many live events together. Um, and then I just like never stopped watching it and neither did she and we still like even though she's back home in Missouri every time there's like a big event we live text it to each other so it's okay. just a huge part of my life in that way. So at that point you're as you said you're a fan um, but at this point you're not yet thinking that this is something you would make a you want to make a career in right you take a different path. You yeah. Go to, you go to college at Missouri State University and you well, graduated that's before we got there. That's not quite true. It is okay. what I wanted to do when oh, I was okay. a senior in high school and I turned 18. I beg because I'm, I graduated high school in Eldon, Missouri, which just so happens to be where world famous Harley race originally had his wrestling school yes. um, before he moved to Troy, Missouri. And I begged and I pleaded with my mother. I was like, please, please let me go and train at Harley's. And she said, absolutely not. It, she was like, whenever you're out of college and you put yourself through college first, you can put yourself through wrestling school and then we can revisit this. Okay. So okay. that's what happened. Okay. Well, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for the, for the correction on that. Um, Okay, so your mom says, which is good advice, I would say, was get your, oh, college, yeah. edu get your college education first. I, I agree. So you did that. You went to Missouri State University. You, you graduate with a degree in public relations, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, so what happens after college? Is that the time where you say, okay, let's, let's pursue this wrestling thing? Because you end up at a, um, at a radio station, right, as an on-air personality. Yes, yes, I do or did sorry i'm in the present time now you've taken me down memory lane i'm just like <laughs> strolling along with you um so yeah i did but when i got to college my brother who again influenced all great things into my life like professional wrestling um he was a timekeeper so a non-skating official for a local roller derby team and since i couldn't wrestle I got involved in roller derby and I played roller derby for eight years, like while I was in college. And then my senior semester of college, I decided to kind of like take a back seat um, for roller derby. I really wanted to focus on like finals and getting my degree and finally finishing that up. And I had like an internship at a radio station because part of the PR requirement at my college, Missouri State University, was that you had to do an internship. And I think that's the case for most degrees. Obviously, you want some sort of experience in the field that you're going into. Um, but they didn't have me do anything related to PR whatsoever. They just put me on uh, the air immediately because I had a theater background and I really love music. And I knew the boss because he was in a band with my brother. So let's be honest, that was nepotism. That's 100% why I got a, an internship in radio. It's almost impossible to break into radio unless you know someone like worth their salt, basically. Um, 
So I took a backseat at roller derby. I was like, man, my knees really hurt. I've been playing this for so long at this point. So I'm just going to like cool it. I'm going to take a season off and just see what happens. Um, I got my degree. I finished up my internship at the radio station and then I just never left. And then I kind of became like the wrestling personality on this very small, well, not small, mid-market, I guess, classic rock studio station, 104.7 The Cave out of Springfield. So I was a classic rock DJ. But anytime like WWE came in and they had like live events where there was going to be like a big pay-per-view in Kansas City or St. Louis, they always like contacted me and I got the hookup to like give people tickets and stuff on air. So I got to set up this contest. I also got to do all of the interviews with wrestlers whenever, because like they'll call in and do like 10 minute bits and then you'll kind of space it out over the course of like radio breaks over the course of two hours and people tune in for that. And at the end of that, like you give away tickets, people know the radio layout, but I was the one that got to do that. And that was super cool. And the more I got to do that, the more I got to talk to like really cool people. Like I got to, well, I'm not going to get into it, but I got to interview some some real bucket listers. And um, I was like, man, I really think I could, I could do this. I really, I'm just, I just want to go see if I can learn to bump, see if I like it, see what happens, see if I love it like I did roller derby if I just really fall off and no harm, no foul, right? Like, don't tell anybody you're going to do it. Just do it. See what happens. But it was really hard to find a school in the middle of Missouri because there aren't any. There was Harley's Place in Troy, Missouri, which is about four hours away from me. And then there were schools in Kansas City that were about three hours away from me. Um, And then I was talking to someone who was also a wrestling fan that I knew at the time. And he was like, I heard that there's this really small school in Arkansas. And it happened to be in Harrison, which was only about an hour and 15 minutes south of where I was. And so I tried to contact this school as Mid-States Wrestling for about two months and I didn't get any responses. I don't, I don't know if he like wasn't taking new students at the time or if it was just like that I was like a girl in particular trying to train in Arkansas. So it didn't seem like I was very serious, but eventually he was like, okay, you can come in. I'll teach you how to take like the three basic bumps. If you hate it, you hate it. And if you love it, then I guess you can come back. So, you know, very, <laughs> like, no nonsense, very cut and dry. I don't think that he expected a lot out of me. And I don't honestly think that I did either. But that's obviously not how it went. It went remarkably well. And here we are. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit because you said a few things there that I wanted to um, expand on. And it's okay. On the ROH Strong podcast, we, we don't have to hold back about talking about um, other companies or other wrestlers. So, oh, cool. Yeah. I got to, I interview, mean, we don't, I got to we don't. interview Becky Lynch, and that was dope. Okay. Were there any other uh, stars from WWE that you interviewed? Well, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Who, was, who do you think was your best interview? And then by the same token, was there anyone who it was difficult to, you know, we all have those tough interviews sometimes. Where, yeah. Were there any tough ones? And, and, like, what was the best one? Was it Becky that you thought was the best one? Um, I, I, well, I really loved that I was interviewing Becky. And so I think that's what made it like the coolest experience. Um, but I also got to interview Biggie. I, John Morrison is a really, really good interview. His interview actually went so long that, um, the person that was doing the calling for him had to cut us off. (laughs) Um, so yeah, he was a really, really good interview. Rey Mysterio was also just an absolute sweetheart. Um, I don't, there really wasn't anybody. I also uh, interviewed Gable. He was also fantastic. There's not anybody that I interviewed that wasn't like easy to interview, you know, because I think whenever you get to the top of your game like that, you have all of the interview skills that you need and you have all the conversational skills that you need in order to make yourself an easy interview. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. And I think, especially in WWE, they get a lot of, they get some media training and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're very good. I interviewed, I mean, in my previous life working for the Baltimore Sun, I also did similar to what you did is, uh, you know, when, when WWE was coming to town, they would, you know, give me a 15 minute interview with, uh, you know, whoever the star was that was coming in and got assigned media that, you know, for that trip. And, mm-hmm. and you're right, like almost everyone I interviewed was good. I would say the toughest interview I had was Brock Lesnar. Yeah, and, I can um, see that. I asked Brock about, this was not long after WrestleMania. You remember the WrestleMania? Probably do. WrestleMania 19, where he went for the shooting star press and almost. Yeah. Yeah. So, I didn't need, that was an anxiety laugh, by the way. Not, I don't think it's funny at all. I think it's horrifying and terrifying. Oh, I know. I thought I witnessed <gasps> literally a death in the ring when I saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank God for that thick neck that he has. But so I asked him about that and I said, you know, take me back to that. Like you're on the ropes, you, uh, you're getting ready to hit the move. And I'm like, you, you, you start the ascent. And like, what happens after that? And he goes, what happens? I got knocked the F out. That's what <laughs> happened. I was like, okay, moving on to question number two. So, I mean, but like, technically he's right. He's Nothing right. Nothing else was going on up there at the time. That's true. That's true. You know, Dalton Castle also started out in radio interviewing um, wrestling personalities. So you're in Dalton, good company there. Dalton and I have a lot in common when it comes to like our backgrounds and stuff. It's really cool. Minus the amateur wrestling. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I want to go back too to the roller derby thing. So um, I was a fan of roller derby back in like the 70s because I became a pro wrestling fan. And this was back on the days of grainy UHF TV stations. Mm -hmm. And of course, the station that I watched, WWWF Wrestling, it was an extra W back then. Um, What a mouthful, right? Like what a good call drop in that. The World Wide Wrestling Federation. Uh, Bruno Sammartino was, I'm going to date myself, but you, you know I'm old. So Bruno Sammartino was the champion when I, when I first started watching mm-hmm. wrestling. But so they also had on the same station, the roller derby. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you were like, I know you, you participated in roller derby. I don't know if you know the history of it. It was a work battle. Yeah, I scraped through college writing so many papers about the origin of roller derby and just like repurposing the same one every semester. So, yeah. So, Judy Arnold and Cavello, you're familiar with these names? Um, No, not off the top of my head because it's been years. But I know how it used to be like a work and they threw like clotheslines. It was much more professional wrestling on roller skates than it was anything else back in the day. Yeah. So, my my question to you is though, it, it evolved and the modern form of it and the one that you did. Yeah. It was a legitimate athletic competition, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You would be not just like given penalties, but start up ejected from a game for trying any of the stuff they used to get away with in roller derby. Okay. So it's like a, now it's a full contact sport. Right. Yeah. So- and the hitting zones are, are very specific. Um, people who are familiar with roller hockey typically have a pretty good understanding of like what's legal and illegal in roller derby. Okay. So I'm not familiar with all the, I know like one position is, is a jammer, right? They start yeah, that's what I did. Okay. And that's, that, that's yeah. the one that scores, right? Yes. Okay. So you have to be like, you have to go around the track so many times to get and try to get by people to get points. Yes. So the, the best way that I can describe this is that there are four blockers from each team on the track at a time and they make up what's called the pack um there are two jammers one from each team 
the bell whistles and or the whistle blows and then you take off the first jammer to lap the pack starts gaining points okay yeah the second one will too but there's this whole thing about like denoting lead jammer and then once you're like if you're the first jammer to break out of the pack and block or pass the other blockers first you get lead jammer jams are two minute micro periods basically um and you can call that off and stop the clock and stop the jam anytime you want if you're lead jammer so the big strategic thing is to score as many points as you can before the other jammer can score points as well okay and so as you're trying to score the other team is trying to obviously prevent you from scoring so yeah i'm guessing um your low center of gravity maybe and your speed is what that's that's probably the perfect body type for a jammer you wouldn't want a bigger person right you want small and, and fast yes i honestly it depends on the team though because teams that also have jammers that were built like me knew how to block against me because they already knew all my dirty tricks so when you're against a team like that and like for my team, my team's weaknesses was big jammers because they're so used to stopping small jammers. Like, so yeah, it depends on training styles and stuff like that. So sometimes I would be incredible. And then other times I would be horrific. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, but I'm also remarkably strong for my size. So I also made like a really, um, I'm hard to hit because I'm fast, but when you do hit me, I'm hard to move because I'm solid. Okay. Yes, I know. Five feet of concrete, right? <laughs> yeah. What it says. It must be true. It's right on your Twitter bio. So it goes. <laughs> so were you always into, into fitness? Have you always been five feet of concrete? No, no, not at all. Um, I actually grew up as a theater kid because I was so small when I was younger that nobody would put me on a sports team. And it, it didn't matter that I was like fast or agile. I just... I, I don't know. <laughs> People are like, I don't, I don't really see it. I always did really well in track and field though. That's the thing. I was always like a sleeper hit because I wouldn't, like I tried out for the volleyball team. I didn't make the volleyball team. I tried out for basketball team. I didn't make the basketball team. I did not want to do cross country or track and field because I hate to run. Um, but whenever like, you know, every year you have a field day just so everybody's kid gets a participation trophy or gets included or does whatever. Right. Um, and I was always in the long jump and I always did a sprint and I always did fantastic. In fact, whenever we would have our physical education exams at the end of the year, I always got the presidential award. Oh, very good. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Surprisingly athletic, but that was not nurtured in me. It was like I ended up being athletic despite the fact that everyone was like, I think that you should probably just be speech and debate captain. <laughs> see, I could see you. You didn't make the basketball team. See, I could see you as the point guard. I really could. See, the, but the point guard, you know, distributing out the assists. I could see that. Um, I'm glad that you're explaining these positions to me as you go, because I tried out in the fifth grade, Kevin. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought we were talking more like high school here. Okay. No. <laughs> no, by the time I got to high school, I was just resigned to the fact that, no, these are sports that I tried out for, like, as a kid, like, oh, in gotcha. grade school. And gotcha. by the time I got to middle and high school, I was like, I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. So I'm just going to, like, set up my own corner over here and, like, be on color guard and, and okay. do drama club and, okay. and that kind of thing. You know, softball, too, I could see, you know. Um, oh, I did you, play softball. Yeah, you wouldn't have a very big strike zone, right? Um, I didn't play softball after fifth grade. 
Okay. Again, I really resigned myself, but no, I was never a good batter. Never. Okay. Right, uh, the- I was, I was really good in the outfield. I'm a daydreamer. Kevin, I'm a daydreamer. Isn't that like outfield? Doesn't that really always put the worst kids? Yes. <laughs> could you judge a fly ball? Because if you could judge a fly ball, you're okay out there. You know what I could judge? Whether or not I think the grass needed to be cut. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate your honesty. You know, you're not, you're not um, Al Bundy, right? Telling, no, I'm not a sports person. Sports I'm an athletic person, but I'm not a sports person. Okay. All right. Well, so you said you're a theater person, though. So, yeah. so you were like in, you, did you do like musicals or was it plays or what did you do? Yeah, I did musicals. I did plays. I did individual events in speech and debate competitions. I never actually did debate competitions because our school was too small to field a debate team. <laughs> but we had um, we had a forensics team though. Um, but yeah, I was in Annie. I was I did not play the part of Annie. I'm not a phenomenal singer, so anytime I was in a musical, it was very much a supporting role. Um, I was also in The Sound of Music, and then a bunch of I was in Little Shop of Horrors. That was fun. Um, but mostly like dramas. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's go because, you know, wrestling and, and obviously there's a athletic, I mean, obviously an athletic component to pro wrestling. There's also a theater component to it. Yeah. Um, so it seems like a, a perfect marriage of that, of those two things. So I can understand why you would want to pursue that. Uh, so let's yes. talk about, you know, you mentioned you started training at the small place in, in Arkansas. In Arkansas, yeah. Under uh, Jason Jones at Mid-States Wrestling. Okay. Um, I am not familiar with Jason, but I'm sure he, did you get, did you receive good training? Um, I think I, it was just like me and one other kid that would show up occasionally for the majority of the time that I trained there. Okay. So I definitely, like I learned the, the very basics there before I ended up at a different school in Kansas City. But yeah, I would say it was very sound, basic training. I don't know what I, else I would have, have learned um, at that time, obviously, because I was very new. So I felt like I was learning all of these things at once. And looking back, it was like, girl, you were just learning how to tie up, like knock right. it off. Right. All right, so eventually we know you do get to the ROH Dojo. And so we'll, yeah. this will be a great place to take our first break. And then we'll talk about how you got to ROH and being at the dojo uh, right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and YouTube.com slash Ring of Honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is ROH's popular on-air personality, Quinn McKay. Keep saying that word. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know that a lot of people would agree with you right now. Well, no, I. You know what? I'm not going to say who uh, said this to me, but someone in our office, when I said I was going to have, you know, my plan was to have you on uh, this week's uh, podcast, they said, that's great. Quinn is ratings. <laughs> I swear to God, that's what they said to me. 
Oh, okay. Well, I hope that that was somebody important because. <laughs> um, well, you know, everyone's important, Quinn. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Everyone on the that's ROH true. team is important, so. But not everybody on the ROH team's in charge of my job. <laughs> okay. <well done. laughs> All right, so let's, we, we ended the, the last segment um, with the tease of, we're going to talk about the ROH dojo. So let's talk about yeah. that. How do okay. you get from, um, you know, this small, you're, you're training at a small place in Arkansas, and I guess you start doing some indies in the Midwest. Yeah. How do you end up at the ROH dojo? Oh, it is a long and storied event. Um, so before I got to the ROH Dojo, because I mentioned that I, I left Mid-States Wrestling for a larger school in Kansas City. So I basically was like, I'm going to stop driving to Arkansas once a week, an hour and 15 minutes. And I'm going to drive for like two hours of training. It's like, I'm going to drive to Kansas City every weekend to see if I can train on like Saturdays and Sundays for like four hours at a time. So like, twice the drive time but like three times the, the in-ring time and that's what I was really after and there was this small startup promotion called the NWL the National Wrestling League that was started by this guy named Major Baisden um, I think he had like really wanted to get into like funding a sports league and he had always really liked professional wrestling so he was like I'm just going to start my own professional wrestling company and they were on TV in Kansas City and St. Louis and like all throughout um, like our region of the Midwest. And then right before that shut down, we had actually gotten picked up for television down in the Gulf Coast in like Alabama and Georgia and stuff. So that was super cool. Um, so I started training there and they, I had my first on-air appearance as Quinn McKay as a member of the foundation with Ace Steele and Jeremy Wyatt and um, Michael Strider in, in Kansas City. And I was just this like mean girl that carried a clipboard basically and I had like no speaking lines or anything like that and then I got like a little bit of television training out of that and a little more wrestling training and then that just shut down on a random Wednesday like the guy that owned it walked in and was like okay we're closing up shop um we're not going to have the event that was planned this weekend because they also had this like they opened up the training facility so that they could put fans in it and before that they had just been at like different venues around town but we finally had like a home arena and it was this grand opening and all of a sudden it was just like the rug getting pulled out from under you and all of it stopped um and i was about to wrestle for the first time on tv for them so that was going to be super cool um, and then after that, it was like, I, I didn't really know what to do. I hadn't wrestled a match yet. I hadn't been on an indie show yet. So I started managing at St. Louis Anarchy. And then I finally, finally, after like a year and a half of training, had my very first match in Iowa. And then I had a second match in Iowa. And then I went to a Jonathan Gresham seminar at St. Louis Anarchy in St. Louis and then I got to the ROH dojo. <laughs> All right. So it was going to the Jonathan Gresham seminar. That's the ROH connection. Yes, that's the ROH connection that I wasn't originally going to go to because I didn't feel like I was advanced enough to be in his seminar. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to understand any of the information that he's, he's giving to me. But I also was like, but I also don't have anywhere to formally train right now. So I should just start paying to go to all of these seminars and see like, this is the only way that I can really learn right now. And uh, so I went and he 
found out that I was intending to move to Baltimore anyway, because I, it's hard to break out in wrestling in the Midwest. And I knew that my best chance was going to get to the East coast where all of the like actual promotions are that run regularly. So he found out that I was moving out to Baltimore anyway. And he was like, well, I'm going to talk to the coaches, like send me a headshot, send me a little bit about yourself. Um, and I'll talk to the coaches at the dojo and see what happens. And I got in. Well, it's just like with everything. Um, it's, it's timing. It's, it's um, meeting the right person at the right time. And, uh, and, you know, that's, I think that's what, not just with wrestling, but that's like so many things that we, opportunities we get. And then it's, it's what you do with that opportunity that, that counts. Cause you know, you mentioned earlier the, how you got your um, radio internship and said, Oh, you know, maybe there was some nepotism there which is, that's, you know, a lot, of, again, it's like who you know and right place, right time, but then it's what you do with the opportunity. So I don't think anyone should ever, you know, apologize for how they got the opportunity if it's, you know, you knew the right person, because at the end of the day, if you don't perform, then you won't go any further than just getting your foot in the door. So, right, it's sink or swim. You have to make the most out of the opportunity that you were given. A hundred percent. So I want to ask you a little bit about this, uh, the character that you played. You said you were a mean girl walking around with a clipboard. Yeah, <laughs> I immediately thought of, I don't know if you were a WCW fan back in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. You remind, that reminds me of Stacey Keebler when she, was doing oh. her, when she was doing her Miss Hancock gimmick. Do you remember that? No, I don't. But if you want to compare me to Stacey Keebler, I'll take it. <laughs> well, you know, Stacey Keebler is a Baltimore girl and a um, former Baltimore Ravens cheerleader and a longtime close personal friend of mine. Really? Best legs in the business, as they say. Well, thanks. Oh, you're talking about Stacey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, for sure. Okay, so uh, through the Jonathan Gresham seminar, now you're on ROH's radar. You moved to Baltimore. You start at the dojo. Um, what is that experience like? Because I, I can only, like, this is not to denigrate any of your prior training, but now you've stepped up big time um, with your training. So what is that like? terrifying it was horrifying I walked in I didn't know anybody there I didn't feel like I belonged there I didn't know what I was doing um I'd never been that far from home before either so like I didn't have any money I didn't have a job I barely had an apartment like and I walked in and I don't know, somehow I pulled it together and made it work. It was honestly terrifying, though. It's probably the scariest thing I've ever done. Well, I can understand that. Um, yeah. I also yeah. went from training, like, once or twice a week to training four nights a week for, like, five hours. So the training itself was just really hard. So, like, I didn't <laughs> – I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know why I was there. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> like, it was just all very, very confusing. But I came out the other side of it, I think, the best version of myself. Because what? I had nothing to rely on. I had nothing. Like, I came out here, started my life over, started from scratch, worked my way up from the bottom, and ended up in a place of creativity and occasional objectivity. <laughs> um, I 
made what I, I did matter. And I knew that if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't matter. And that's never been an option for me. Well, I was going to say, it's like you said earlier, sink or swim. And, um, you know, failure is not an option because you've put no. everything into it. All those cliches, which are actually true, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had to make it work. You mentioned earlier, too, that you weren't a big fan of running. Um, no. Still not. I won't do it. You couldn't pay me. You couldn't pay me, Kevin. But once you do the training, though, it is very physical. I know the, the cardio is such a huge thing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like in-ring cardio. There's, there's no way that you can recreate it with anything. Right. Was that, was that a big, um, was that a tough, I mean, obviously you were in great shape. Um, you're, you know. Not then, not then. Okay. Um, I mean, I was in good shape. I've always like, I, I enjoy time in the gym. I really do. I love to work out. That's something that helps me. Like I'm a very like anxious and frazzled person. And that's kind of the only thing where I can like, it's the closest thing to meditation for me, I guess, where I can like clear my mind. I'm going to pick some heavy stuff up, put it back down. So I was in good shape, but I was not in great shape. And I sure as hell wasn't in the shape that I am now. I got my ass kicked for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and then eventually you just start getting your ass kicked a little bit less, but you have to keep going. <laughs> is, is there ever a moment of doubt as you're getting your ass kicked and you're sore and uh, you know the bumps and bruises are starting to multiply? Was there ever a moment where you thought, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me. I, I, I never doubted if it was for me. I think that self-doubt is an intrinsic part of who I am. <laughs> um, I doubt everything, but because I doubt everything, I have a million contingency plans. And I've already thought through all of the scenarios in which I can fail. And then I've thought of scenarios in which I can succeed. Like being an overthinker when it comes to success and failure is kind of a superpower, right? Because you've thought out all of these scenarios and you know which ones are the most likely to be successful for you. And so you pursue those avenues relentlessly. And so did I doubt that I was going to be good at it? Yes. Did I doubt that it was for me? No. Okay. Um, and that's just always kind of like a war that I have inside because I'm constantly riddled with self-doubt, but I also absolutely refuse to fail at something. Right. And I think that's just, that's only normal. I think all of us have that, that the self-doubt creeps in, but yeah, it's the mental toughness and, and the physical toughness as well to uh, fight past those things, which, which obviously you did. I want to ask you about uh, your mom. You said that when you told her, you know, you wanted to be a wrestler when you were like 18. Yeah. She said, no, uh, go to college, get your degree. Who knows what, you know, maybe mom's thinking, ah, you know what, by the time college is over, she'll outgrow this thing. And I think that was it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured. So what does yeah. mom say when, you know, you've got your college degree and, and everything else, and, you know, you had a nice job working at a radio station? Oh, um, that's a bit of an overstatement. That it was a nice job? Yeah, there's no, I mean, I enjoyed what I did, but there is zero money in radio. So it was like, I had a job that I enjoyed, but I did not have a cushy job by any means. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand there's no money in radio, but it, it was, yeah. it's a fun job, right? It beats Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was fulfilled yeah. creatively. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, look, I know I've personally taken jobs where I made less money, but you yeah. know, have more fun than, a, you know, I would, more money and hate, my, hate going to work every day. That's, um, yeah, I agree with that 
I hate being told what to do and I'm not going to be told what to do and hate my life for like a bunch of money. <laughs> Isn't it great that we get a paycheck from Ring of Honor? I mean, it's just. Yes, it is. It is the, the best scenario that I could have envisioned for myself. However many years ago, if you had asked me four years ago, if like this would be my life, I would have laughed at you and said something incredibly rude and walked away. So, so what does mom say when you actually really pursue this? You start training. Is, is she, is she uh, supportive? If she, is she worried that you're going to get hurt? What, what, was her, what was her opinion? So she hated when I played roller derby. The eight years I played, I think she went to maybe three games. She cannot stand to watch me in a position of real peril or danger. Because in roller derby, people were actively trying to hurt me. And she, she didn't like to watch. Like, I'm her baby. I'm the youngest. She fostered me out into the world. And then I decided that I wanted to get beat up for a living. <laughs> so whenever I told her that I was going to start with profesh into professional wrestling, she was weirdly relieved. She was like, oh, that's so much better than people trying to hurt you for real all the time. And she's been incredibly supportive. And I don't think, I don't want people to think that like, she didn't think I would be good at wrestling or that I wouldn't make it in wrestling whenever she told me that I should get a degree first. It was definitely just that she thought that I would outgrow it and it seemed dangerous. But at the time she hadn't watched me play roller derby yet. So <laughs> she, um, she's always been incredibly supportive, but she's also one of those mothers and she's like, I know you. I know that you're going to achieve whatever you set out to do. And she's always had that belief in me. And so even whenever I don't have that belief in me, I know that like, well, mom thinks I'm going to make it. So everything's probably fine. Yeah. I, I believe me, I get it as, as a parent. Um, I, I have two daughters, so I get the fact that, you know, you don't like you stress about them doing anything that could possibly physically harm them, whether it's a sport or, or whatever it is. So I totally get that, but it is so cool though, that your mom was, supportive and and like i said earlier the um yeah the the go to college thing and get your degree you know like i she couldn't give you any any better advice because now you do have your backup plan and I, you know i had sos uh moses and Khan on here last yeah week. yeah i saw and, that i love them very similar story you know both of them uh wanted to get into wrestling and their moms or dads and you know both said hey go you're going to college first and mm -hmm. so they did it they both went they got their college degrees they got shoot jobs and you know good jobs yeah um, oh yeah moses and khan both have way better jobs than i ever achieved with my degree i want to put that on the record they both have incredible jobs yeah exactly well i mean yeah i mean as we said there's not a lot of money in radio although it was fun but the thing is uh they didn't particularly love their jobs so and that's yeah. why um at least i know especially with uh, well actually both of them said it that they didn't want the Yes, they had a nice job and they had a 401k and health insurance and all these things, but they didn't love going to work every day. And yeah, and so I don't think anybody really loves going to work every day. Even when I was in radio, I hated going to work every day. <laughs> okay, but you do love every day that you work for Ring of Honor, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, that's the difference is that I've never walked into working for Ring of Honor with any sort of reservation. I don't even consider it like a job, I guess, because yeah. I 
yeah, everything that I do, it's like I'm constantly like creating something or helping someone tell a story or helping someone figure out or just being helpful in general or just doing something that I love. And I, yeah, I am truly blessed to be in the position that I'm in because I have arguably the coolest job in the world. Yeah, I can identify. I mean, my other job is I write for the Baltimore Ravens website and which, you know, I've been, a cool. Ravens, I've been a Ravens season ticket holder since 1996. So they're you know. my favorite football team because I didn't even get into football until I was in Baltimore. So naturally the Ravens. Okay. Well, welcome. I, I'm, I didn't know you were part of the purple flock. Yeah, I guess if that's what you call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're not a diehard since you don't know about the purple flock, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. Um, all right. So let's, let's, now get to Quinn McKay goes from potential pro wrestler training at the dojo to all of a sudden now you're holding a microphone. Um, yes. How does this come about? Um, well, at some point it got out that I had a background in radio and had interviewed wrestlers in the past. I don't know how that came about. I think probably they were just thinking about the fact that they needed an interviewer and it was easier for me to be right there than probably to field a whole bunch of people that would try out for it i don't know and then they had me do like a trial run with josh the goods woods i believe in philadelphia maybe i don't know see there are some people that can tell you exactly what show was it what arena in what town on what date and i'm never gonna be that that person let me, for, let me interrupt for a second because it was philly and i was in the room with you at the time see i don't remember anything like that yeah. i don't re like i barely remember i barely remember the interview like <laughs> i was so scared i was, I was so horrified more for josh because um Josh, as we know, is great in the ring, but he was struggling at that time to kind of, you know, I, people yeah. are seeing Josh's real personality now, but back yes. then we were still going with, okay, he's an MMA badass, you know, yeah. you're Brock Lesnar, you're Kurt, and, and we were, I was in there basically, you know, because I, I like Josh and I was trying to, in my mind, help bring, bring this out of him, and so yeah. that's why I was in there watching the interview, but um we were all wrong and trying to make Josh yeah. into something that he wasn't. And now he's himself and, he, and he's over. That's but, also uh, the only time I've walked into an interview with lines written for me. They were like, we want you to hit this question, this question, this question, this question. And that clearly didn't work out very well either. And I remember there, one of my coaches got a text afterwards after the whole thing. I think it's the only reason that I ended up with the gig and he was like, she doesn't know what she's doing, but the girl's got upside. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So there's talent there. I just have to figure out how to fish that out. And the thing with Josh, I think that that's a really common thing whenever, cause that was kind of an, an issue with the original incarnation of the Quinn character for me is that they, it's kind of like an archetype, right? It's like, you are this. But it's like um, whenever you're getting like a suit tailored or something, when you put it on the first time, it doesn't quite fit. And it takes a couple of times going back for you to get that fit where it fits like a glove. And figuring out who your character is and what you would do 
and what you're motivated by is very similar process to that. And it's just like wrestling or really anything else. It's repetition. And yeah. the more you do it, the more you get comfortable, comfortable at it, the more you figure out your own style and what works for you and what doesn't. And I do agree with whoever the person was who said, um, I mean, I don't think I would have said you weren't good at it. I would have said she's inexperienced, but I definitely saw the same thing that, wow, there's, there's something there. There's the it factor, right? That you, <laughs> you have it or you don't. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you or kiss up to you, but like. There was <laughs> you a, would never. Of course <laughs> not. You know me better than that. But there was a, there, there was an it factor there. It's like, okay, there's definitely something here. And I think you got pretty good at it quickly. I don't know if you remember this, but I did tell you early on that, um, I thought you were, you were doing really well and you did. Yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely saw it. I definitely saw something there. And I think it's, it's unique too, that we've got um, a female who is, look, you're hosting the show ring of honor uh, wrestling TV show by yourself. You're hosting yeah. our week by week by yourself. And it's not like we're trying to fill a quota and it's like, Hey, let's put a woman in this position. It was, oh yeah. It was Quinn's really good. Let's put her in this position. And isn't it great that she's a woman? Mm -hmm. It was really unceremonious too. Like there wasn't a lot of fan. I know that it wasn't because I'm a woman because there was no like the first woman that ROA, like there was none of that. Right. It was just kind of like we were in New York City and they were like, okay, you host the show now. You're on in an hour. <laughs> really? That's how it went down? No, that's it. I, I found out that day. Wow. Well, you didn't have any time to stress about it then. That's good. No, <laughs> I did not. Although I'm sure like whatever amount of stressing is humanly possible in one hour, I went through all of it. All five stages of grief. <laughs> so what is, you mentioned that first one with Josh Woods that you were given questions. So what yeah. is the process for you after that? Like, what is your process now? Is it someone says, hey, um, you know, we're not going to give you lines, but here's, here's the bullet points or here's what we want to get out of this. Or do you, talk with, do you talk with the talent ahead of time? Or is it just like red lights on, go, we'll figure it out? It depends on the talent, honestly. And I've spent a lot of time with each and every one of them over the past year and a half figuring out what works best for them and what puts their best foot forward. Because everybody's different, you know? Not everybody is super great under the gun. And not everybody is super good with a bunch of preparation because then they just get in their heads. So like, if it's Dalton, it's literally just like, he walks up, the camera records, and what happens, happens. A lot of the time, um, I'll ask them, hey, do you know what you want to say? And they're like, yes. And then I'll ask them a leading question to get to it. Or I'll just be like, I'm going to ask you a question about what happened and then work in what you want. So sometimes we talk through it. Very occasionally do I actually get notes about specific things that they want to hit. And if it's stuff like that, it's like a date that we really need to nail or like a small detail that really needs to be out there for information's sake. But it's never like a creative direction because there's this really interesting trust between everybody at Ring of Honor where like everybody believes they're going to be telling the best story and the story that they need to tell. Everyone knows what the direction of their character is. And if you don't know what the direction of your character is, then it's up to you to create your, your own destiny, right? So people know what they want to say. You just have to give them the correct outlet to get there. Talk to me about the sort of the delicate balance between 
when you're the backstage interviewer, the job is obviously to get the talent over, but also interject your personality into the segment, but without stepping on the talent, which I think you're really good at. Thank um, you. I mean, you, you know, you could have a nameless, faceless, generic person standing there holding the microphone, but I think yeah. it adds to the segment that you do have a person, you know, the interviewer does have a personality and then the talent and the personality can sort of play off each other a little bit. But can you just talk about that? Like, are you cognizant of, hey, I want to still be, this is a Quinn McKay interview. It's not a, just a generic interviewer, um, but I don't want to make it about Quinn McKay. I, so here's the, the funny thing about that is that like, I didn't create like the way Quinn is, I guess. It, that's just the way that she's perceived. Like she's perceived as a character, but I didn't try to make her that way. And I think the reason that happened was because it was very clear that like I was going to do better if I could just like help people tell stories instead of trying to tell people's stories for them. So I was given all of that freedom on like ways to pitch to people and like the type of questions that I could ask. And I think that if it hadn't just organically worked out the gate with the allure, then the Quinn that we have now would be very different. And that I probably would just be a very generic, like stand up, like step and repeat type person. Um, but they kept talking about Red, Lipster, Red Lobster in that first interview that we did. And at the very end of the closing, he left the camera on me. And so I said that I don't work for Red Lobster, I work for Ring of Honor. And they kept it. And then that just kind of like, accidentally happened and incidentally happened and then Quinn was a character well there were little things that you did I think that made um, Quinn stand out in a good way which was a little thing like a gesture of um, when you would start the interview by pushing your glasses up yeah uh, and um, obviously the, the creating a look like to me the best thing when, when you know you have a look that works when it's easily imitatable and if, I, if, if a little girl wanted to dress up as Quinn McKay, you would get it. You would pull your hair back in a ponytail. Well, I guess you don't really do that anymore. But, you know, you would, you would wear glasses and you would wear a bow tie. Yeah. And it's adorable it. when they do. It's so cute. I love it. You see a lot of that? I don't see a lot of it. But around Halloween, I always get like a picture or two that people have done. And it's always well, so cute. Right. Very cool. But whose idea? Was, was the bow tie your idea? To just kind the of bow, The bow tie was the only thing that was my idea. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think an, another thing that worked out in my favor for like scoring the, the Quinn thing was that Bully Ray saw that I was a really hard worker um, behind the scenes because whenever you go to the Ring of Honor dojo, you have to be on ring crew and you work all of the meet and greets and like you basically ru run crew outside of production like you get everything done and make sure everything's where it's supposed to be and like that's your responsibility and if something screws up that's on the dojo so it's you try to not, do the best it's not glamorous that's for sure it's it's not glamorous no you're loading the truck you get very little sleep you're killing yourself to make sure that like everybody stays safe and it's really important to do that and i think it's a really important part of the dojo that people learn that discipline because not everybody comes in with a hard work ethic and that will teach you if that's for you or not but Madison Square Garden, G1 Supercard, I worked Bully Ray's meet and greet, and I stood there by myself in heels the whole time and got everything off without a hitch. And he didn't say anything to me about it, but it was very quickly after that 
that I think, um, he was like, I think that, I think she's a, she's a good little hard worker. And I, I think that she has what it takes because, um, he had a lot of the main vision for like what I should be too. So like when I was there, I was like in heels and like in a shirt with no sleeves and I had blue hair and it was like the first thing that was brought to me was like, okay, well, we definitely have to cover this up because you're too conspicuous. Right. You're too jacked. You have blue, like we need to tone you down to be like a believable reporter. And then like once that all happened, I was like, well, I'm going to throw on the bow tie because I need to have some sort of personality. And I took all my period because I used to have tons of facial piercings. It's like, I took all of those out. I dyed my hair brown. You can't see any of like, I, not that I have many tattoos, but you can't see any of my tattoos. Like I look like a very straight laced stand up citizen for the first <laughs> time in my life. So I'm going to wear a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it works. You made, you, made, you made the bow tie work. You made it all work. Um, I want to ask you, though, about, so Week by Week, which is a big success. Uh, what is it, 28 or so maybe episodes at the time that we're doing this? Um, you started off, though, because of the pandemic, doing Week by Week from your house, correct? Yeah, correct. So was it tough? Is, has there been a big change to go from your house to the studio? Were there, more, were there any challenges with doing it remotely or, or no? Yes, there were challenges with doing it remotely. I think um, so. I've I've never I was like very briefly involved in like scouted for a YouTube show when I was in college, and I did like maybe six episodes for it. So I was familiar with like reading a prompter and like being on a set, and but I had never produced myself. So that was the first time where I was like, okay, so you've got this outline, and we're gonna put it on this laptop and you don't have a teleprompter, but you're gonna download a really terrible app from the internet and <laughs> that doesn't ever work and sometimes flips backwards and sometimes just stops going entirely. Um, and I had to try to get everything in one take. So a lot of those episodes that you see at the very beginning, that's just me against my blank apartment wall was all done like in one take without pause to try to get like the best easiest reel of film to them that I could possibly get in a timely manner. And then once we got to the studio, it's like, oh, you guys, you guys bought me a new teleprompter and now we have two cameras and now there's crew and now there's someone adjusting my microphone. And now there's like, I don't know. It's, it's a really amazing, it's really great. And the crew that I have, it's like, so like Gator's always there and he's fantastic. And then there's Josh, producer Josh is always there and he's always fantastic and he handles all of my lighting issues and he gets stuck with a bunch of creative stuff like making sure there's like gourds and stuff arranged on the table anytime we have a wide shot for a holiday episode and Scott's always really great when he's there for sound and second camera and Zane's a phenomenal producer we probably wouldn't have any of the amazing promo packages that we've had in these these new episodes of ROH television without Zane and his creative vision so we just really have one of the best crews in the world I think yeah all great people for sure I can vouch for every one of those people that you mentioned that it really is an awesome team um, that makes makes it makes the talent look good and and, it, and it's just oh, yeah um, yeah it really the, the unsung heroes you know behind mm -hmm. There's always, everyone knows they're there, but it's good to, you know, let's, let's throw their names out every once in a while, which is good because they do deserve, they do deserve some recognition. Although I will say this, um, when the allure attacked you on the set, you know, it might've been nice if somebody would have. Gator didn't do anything. Nobody did a damn thing, Quinn. 
No, to be fair, it was like we were running a skeleton crew that day because it was just me and Gator. But yeah, it, he didn't do anything. I he also I don't you know what we said we we're gonna talk about Angelina later. I don't want to talk about we'll this talk right about now. Angelina. But what I did hear was because uh, you know I was like, hey, like it, it it angered me. I'm like, how could somebody do that? Like where where is everybody? And I knew it was a skeleton crew. I heard Gator actually ran out and uh, and called nine one one. So. Um, you know, he, he did have an out, like he was going to, to, to find someone to help you. And he felt like sure. it wasn't his place to step in. The uh, only reason that I believe that is because eventually someone did get there to help me. Exactly. Exactly. So I think originally I was, I was kind of hard on, on Gator. I'm like, you know, this is, what was he some kind of coward? But then I heard he did, he did leave to go get help. So um, that's why you were left, you know, in a two-on-one situation, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that in, in a little bit. I also, I have no security on the set of week by week at all like literally the week before that i like we knew this was a problem because the week before that sos crashed the set and i mean i love sos there's no heat there but they were obviously not invited (laughs) they know that this can happen why aren't they helping well we'll talk about the whole angelina thing and crashing the the set later but uh, let's take another break and when we come back i want to do something a little bit differently we usually save 10 questions for the very end of the show but I want to come back from the break and do 10 questions and then we'll get to the unpleasantness of Angela. Is that, is that cool? The unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. All right. So we'll be back with Quinn McKay and 10 questions right after this. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m. Ring of Honor Wrestling presents Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. After months of darkness, a new era of honor has risen from the ashes. See ROH athletes such as the new pure champion Jonathan Gresham, EC3, the Briscoe Brothers, plus Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and many more. Find out why honor has always been real. Friday, December 18th at 9 p.m. It's Final Battle on Pay-Per-View. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Ring of Honor's popular on-air personality. <laughs> Makes you laugh every time I say that. Quinn yeah. McKay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna break from tradition here, and uh, instead of saving ten questions for the very end of the show, we're gonna do ten questions right now. Quinn, are you ready? Yeah, I love breaking down barriers. Let's go. And it is now time for ten questions with Kevin. All right, question number one: If you could have a conversation. And this is great for you since you are an interviewer. If you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, living or dead, who would that person be? Oof. Well, I used to know the answer to this question because it was definitely the answer to one of the security questions that I'd set on my computer password. But I don't feel like it's the same person anymore. One person, alive or dead? Um... I never have things like this prepared. Is this something that I should like start preparing? No, see, that's the beauty of 10 questions is I never tell the talent ahead of time what the 10 questions are going to be. (laughs) I want to get your, you know, off the cuff answers. I guess if I could interview anybody and just really like sit down and be like, I want to know everything about your life. Probably be The Rock. I feel like that's such a cast off answer, but like who has a better story than that of like, rising to massive superstardom so much wealth like you don't even know what to do with it after coming from the complete opposite of that yeah probably 
I wish I had a more philosophical answer, yeah, but I don't. Answer. That's a good answer, but I'm going to throw out a humble brag. You know, I've interviewed Dwayne. I, I call him Dwayne. Um, <laughs> of course you do. I I've interviewed Dwayne, I don't know, four or five times in my career. Lucky. Yeah, and I'm sure that it's a, I'm sure that he's probably a phenomenal interview. I guarantee you'd interview him anytime. He is. I'll tell you what. I interviewed him the first time when he was just starting uh, to get he was still in the nation of domination okay mm -hmm. so he was just starting to really catch on and then I was lucky enough working for the Baltimore Sun to then still do interviews with him when he started making movies like he would do these little press tours and you would get these one-on-one -on -one interviews in like they'd rent a hotel room and you get to they would usher in the media 15 minutes at a time you get to sit down and interview him in his hotel room for like yeah. Walking Tall and Gridiron Gang I think were the two movies and I'm interviewing him and he's the same guy that I interviewed back, you know, several years before. Like he hadn't changed at all. And when I was working for WWE, I actually got to see him when he came back um, for the for the matches with Cena at WrestleMania. And hmm. he's still the same guy. And now at this point, he's literally the biggest movie star in the world. Right. <laughs> while, while I didn't interview him at that point, you know, I saw him backstage. Hey, remember me? Remember I interviewed you? And I, mean, I guess he lied and said, oh yeah, I remember you. But anyway. <laughs> Um, still the same guy, you know, he asked you, how, hey, how are you doing? What have you been? And it's just amazing, you know, and he, he had this little saying, he goes, you know, it's trite, but you know, it's, it's very nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And I swear to God, those were, he actually said that. And I was like, yeah, that could come I across have... as, as, as like disingenuous from, or, you know, oh, isn't that trite? But from him, you could tell it was sincere. Yeah. I have a, a bit of a different moral philosophy than that because I feel like it's not as important to be a nice person as it is to be a kind person. And I think it's very, very different. But obviously I would I would never correct the rock. But I also want to amend that because I, I think my answer is actually Beth Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's my, my natural answer. Okay, all right. All right, question number two. What is your weirdest fan experience? And I'm gonna, use the caveat of that you can tell on a PG podcast. Do you have a weird fan experience? I'm sure every female in this business has multiple weird fan experiences, but is there one that you can tell? Yeah, I have a lot of really weird fan experiences, which is why my DMs are closed now. Yeah. But the only one, and it's not that it was like a bad experience. It's just like unexpected because I'm not like, I feel like, you can be a well-known person within wrestling, but like you're still not a well-known person, you know? Yeah. So anytime I'm recognized at all, it's it's weird for me because I'm a very introverted and like low-key person on the day-to-day. -day. And, uh, but some guy saw me at the grocery store and wanted a picture like while I was in line at the grocery store and he didn't know if we should do it like masks on or masks off. And I was like, no, it's masks on. There's no other option. It's only masks on. He didn't know like how close he could stand. And I was like, I feel like we should socially distance. So that's, so since the pandemic, I guess that's, and it was also a block from my apartment complex. So that's probably what made it stranger. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that, that would make it strange that it was so yeah. I mean, I don't, I didn't, I didn't mind. That's, that's totally fine. Like if you see me out and about, like if you want a picture, like that's totally cool. I'm fine with that. I'm just not used to it. <laughs> yeah. The pandemic now that you, it really has changed everything as far as like selfies and meeting people. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you see a celebrity now. It's like, yeah, no more of the um, let's hug and <laughs> take this picture. Now it's stand six feet away from me with a mask on. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can maybe convince people this was me in the future. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, question number three. Which actress would play you in a movie about your life story? Who plays Quinn McKay? I don't know. Um, I think that this was a question on week by week at some point, and I made up some, I made, I said Meryl Streep because I didn't have a real answer. I, people tell me that I look like different actresses all the time, including like some guy at some point messaged me and he was like, I knew I recognized you from somewhere. You're Ted's girlfriend on How I Met Your Mother. And I was like, no, how old do you think I am? Like, <laughs> um, so that was offensive. Also, <laughs> maybe, maybe Nat Dormer. Maybe Nat Dormer, who is Marjorie Tyrell in Game of Thrones. I get that comparison a lot. We don't actually, I think maybe we look similar in photos. We don't actually look similar at all in person. Okay, well, I'm going to look her up because, um, and I thank you for quantifying that because I, had n I don't watch Game of Thrones. So that's why there was that blank, um, there was that moment of silence there because I had oh, yeah. who you were talking about. But okay, I got you. Gotcha. You may not always get me, but I got you. <laughs> all right. Question number four, uh, since we know you uh, were a radio DJ, so you obviously must uh, have some affinity for music, what was yeah. the first concert that you attended? Okay, so technically, I was snuck into a, sh a local show very underage. So my first time seeing like a real like live rock band was when I was like 12 or 13 at the Outland in Springfield, Missouri. I was seeing a, a metal band called the Filthy Thirds who were really, really incredible. Um, and I'm still very good friends with all of them to this day. Hold up, um, because, they were, because they were friends with my brother and he was okay. the bouncer. So he allowed me to see a lot of music when I was not supposed to. But as far as like signed acts go, it was Good Charlotte, Reliant K, and Simple Plan at the Shrine Mosque when I was 12 years old. And I was obsessed with Good Charlotte. They were my favorite band in the entire world. Like, looking back on it, pretty much a boy band. Like, I, I didn't have boy band craze. Like, I didn't like NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys or 98 Degrees because I was, I was like, too punk rock for that, you know? I was like, no, I really love Good Charlotte, which is basically just like the bubblegum punk version of right. boy band <laughs> yeah, no, no no need to be embarrassed but i mean good charlotte was fine they, they had oh their... i'm not embarrassed i <laughs> shamelessly wear it like a badge of honor Absolutely. but looking back what was the, the first band you said was the filthy the filthy the what? filthy thirds like you know how oh. there's like sloppy seconds so oh the filthy third i got gotcha. filthy thirds okay yeah now i get it now i get it and Horses. they were like um like sometimes they played like really bluesy music but they were also like a metal band and then there was another band called the adrenals which was this um female fronted like punk band that was super cool i think her name was beth she's she's still rad to this day but okay so this is like a side question i guess this would be question 4a um you worked as a classic rock dj were you a fan of classic rock um, I think I'm, I was as much of a fan of classic rock as a millennial can be a fan of classic rock. Okay. All right. I certainly know a lot about it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's my wheelhouse. So do you have a favorite? Uh, that checks rock? out. Do you have a favorite classic rock band? Guns N' Roses. Okay. That's, that's good. Appetite for Destruction is great. I think it was all downhill after that, but. Yeah. And Appetite for Destruction is also the only. I feel like whenever you're talking about Guns N' Roses, you pretty much only have to talk about Appetite for Destruction because it's also the only thing that achieves radio success to this day. Yes. Yes. It was kind of sad, like, that, at least my, for my money, like, they, they kind of, like, can you say shot your load? Is that, do people still say that? On, on their first uh, album. And then after Blew that. Blew their load. 
Lou they're low, yes. Yeah. You know what I mean. That, and then, yeah. I don't know if that's PG, that'll probably get edited out. But anyway. <laughs> Question number five. What scares you in this world? Failure. 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 Question number six. And I think I knew the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Are you a dog person, cat person, both or neither? Uh, up until like three weeks ago, I was 100% a cat person, but now I have a puppy and I'm like totally both. I didn't realize that I was going to transition into being a dog owner quite so well. And what did you name your dog? So he is known on the internet and because I made a joke that before we had adopted him, I was like, Sam says that I can't name our dog Dean Malenko. So I shared a photo of the puppy I thought we might adopt. And I was like, this is my son, Dean Malenko. And so now he's probably forever known on the internet as Dean Malenko, which is, which is totally fine because it's adorable. His name's actually Hafthor. Um, after former World's Strongest Man, Hafthor Bjornsson. Uh, he was also the mountain on Game of Thrones, which you don't watch. You wouldn't yeah, know that. No. But his name's Hafthor Babyson instead of okay. Hafthor Bjornsson. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little disappointed. I, I really thought it was Dean Malenko. I'm a little disappointed. I know. Most people did. Most people did. And that's why you can't make jokes on the internet. Although, I did make a really strong case for actually naming him Dean Malenko because I think Dean is a really cute name. And my mom still calls him Dean and she refuses to call him Hafthor. Um, but he really, he's so, he's definitely a Hafthor. He, you'd have to meet him, but you'd get it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Question number seven. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Um... A subject I'd like to know more about. I know you're very well versed in lots of things, but is there something else you're curious about that you'd like to delve into more deeply? I have very varied interests. I would really like to... Okay, can I say this? So I have very varied interests. Something that I would like to know more about is languages, which I know about on the anthropological end because I have a minor in anthropology. So I took a couple of linguistic anthropology classes which are all about how languages form and how they evolve and how people adapt to speech uh, how kids acquire language which is really interesting child language acquisition is one of the most fascinating things I've ever studied um, but I would like to be better at learning languages I would just like to know other languages because I'm a stupid American that only speaks one <laughs> yeah I can identify with that you know I took three years of Spanish in high school and I don't so did I did you yeah, and, and I think I can say, um, como esta usted, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, I I am good at it whenever, because sometimes, you know, I like to play games with Duolingo Owl until he starts to threaten me, and then I get intimidated and I stop logging in. Really, they need to, like, back off of that marketing scheme, because I think it drives more people away than it encourages to actually do their daily activities. <laughs> Probably. Um, but I pick it up really well whenever I start to actually like sit down and do it again. I think I would probably be better if I was just put in an immersive environment because I'm good at thinking on my feet. And if I have no other choice but to learn something, I feel like I'll be better at it. Okay. So now we know who to give the call to when we need to interview Roosh or um, any of our, our Mexican stars who... I'm already the call. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Do you cook? And if so, what's your specialty? I do cook. I make a pretty mean, um, like, lean turkey meatloaf because I follow, like, a really strict diet. So I don't get to cook, like, a bunch of really fun things. I also make pretty good fried chicken. Wow, okay. 
fried chicken is not something I would would expect you to eat. But it's, that's actually my next question, number nine. I don't get to. <laughs> well, that my next question was, what's your favorite cheat food? And that is my fried ooh. chicken. Yeah, the thing is, is that it's such a uh, hassle to make. So I maybe make fried chicken like two or three times a year. Um, my favorite cheat food is I'm a big fan of frozen yogurt, but frozen yogurt could be argued is not necessarily a cheat food. So I would probably not no, I wouldn't classify that as a cheat food. See, I do. Um, but Cold Stone Creamery birthday cake remix and like one of those chocolate dipped waffle bowls. That's my that is my cheat day dream. And then just like lots and lots and lots of mimosas. <laughs> Okay, yeah, the the Stone Cold Creamery. Yeah, that's a, uh, is it Cold Stone or Stone Cold? It's Cold Stone. Right? Cold Stone. Did I say Stone Cold? I don't know, but I did, and that was wrong. I still think of Mike Tyson when he called Stone Cold Cold Stone. <laughs> cold Stone Steve cold Austin. Stone. Yeah, he's like, he's like you, you probably don't remember that, but when, when, when uh, Tyson first showed up on Raw, Mm-hmm. And, and Vince McMahon interviewed him, you know, who are your favorite stars? Or he goes, I just love that Cold Stone. <laughs> it's, a, my, it's a Freudian slip that any of us are guilty of. That was my horrible Mike Tyson imitation. It wasn't that horrible, but I think probably just because I've heard so many worse takes. Yes, that's true. All right, question number 10. This is our final question. Who is your favorite interviewer? And it could be wrestling or otherwise. Is there someone... Uh, a peer who you look at and say um, they're really good or that's my favorite yeah. person to interview other it's people. never not going to be Renee Young okay yeah she's a, good one. she's a gold standard honestly she is um, if I ever if I were to just like stay in broadcasting and I would ever have half of the the career that she did um, I would consider myself lucky yeah Renee's great and and uh, it sounds like she's moving on to uh to other things beyond wrestling so yeah she's she's got a, a new podcast i listened to the first episode obviously it's fantastic so almost as good as this one almost almost well she can something for her to aspire to <laughs> all right quinn before we take our last break uh can you get hit us up with your uh your social media where people can find you um i'm trying to take a little bit of a backseat on social media now because i mostly oh, just get okay. myself in trouble but you can find me at quinn mckay on twitter and then real quinn mckay on instagram i did have a public facebook page but i've since deleted it so <laughs> yeah i'm pretty close to doing <laughs> doing that myself. yeah not that i'm a public figure the way you are but just in general um i have accepted a lot of uh, just people who know me through wrestling. So I have a lot of Facebook mm-hmm. friends who I don't really know. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it, gets, it does get messy sometimes, especially in, in this uh, contentious era that we live yes. in. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, let's take our final break. And when we come back, uh, everyone has been waiting, I think, for this entire podcast to talk about <laughs> Angelina Love. So we'll do that. Um, drama hounds. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. 
All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest, as I've said before, is the popular ROH on-air personality, Quinn McKay. Uh, Quinn, you waited we- for me to laugh, so I didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> well, we've had a really great uh, conversation up to this point, but yeah. you, know, I mean, you know how it is. You are a fellow journalist, a fellow interviewer. Um, you have to ask the tough questions sometimes. And as you know, a, well, I'm sure you know this, as one of the tricks to being a good interviewer is you don't want to ever start an interview off on the bad, on a bad note. So if you have tough questions, you save those for later. And that's what I did. Obviously, we need to talk about Angelina. Um, so, I mean, let's just... Need is a bit of an overstatement. Well, you know, at the very beginning of the show, I talked about how you're in the headlines recently. And I, I mean, this is one of the big stories in ROH right now is, I mean, look, you got attacked on ROH week by week. I mean, that's a big, that's a big story. It's, it's resulted in an indefinite suspension for one of, well, I mean, actually Mandy's suspended too. So two of the biggest names in the women's division are now suspended because of that. You missed a, a week of, uh, of the show because you were, recovering uh Mm -hmm. um so we have to talk about it i want to like let's go back to the beginning of it though when when things started escalating because it started right from the beginning really is is you you and angelina and mandy the allure it started off not good uh they were and i'll be honest they were the ones who initiated they gave you a hard time as you alluded to earlier in this interview they gave you a hard time but then at some point it started becoming more of a, a war of words and you started participating a little bit more in it. Uh, when things started escalating, why not just back off and be like, okay, let them say whatever they want. I'm going to be a professional and I'm not going to get into this with them. Because I'm a professional, but I'm not a pushover. Like I'm not going to, And I can see where people wouldn't understand this about my personality from like watching my interviews because why, why would they, they haven't been given a scenario in which I would have to act like this, but they always see me in these happy go lucky interviews with all of these people that I really love interviewing because they're nice to me. So why would I not be nice back? But like, if you push me, I'm not going to just stand there. Like, I'm not a pushover. I'm not a doormat. I think that the allure expected me to be. And that's something that I won't stand for. Like, I'm not going to stand around while you, like, bully me because you think that you can. Because if you do that to me, you're also going to do that to someone else. And I'm not going to allow it. Like, not in my locker room. Okay, so I can sort of understand if they're bullying you in the moment you want to fire back. or I I can understand that. You have to – I get it. You don't want to be a pushover. But there were times – when you mentioned Angelina in a, I don't know if you thought it was a joke or whatever, um, you know, saying at one time, if I think the question was like, what is your, it was like the week question of the week or something. What, what's your favorite uh, wrestling move? And you're like, well, power slam, snap power slam. And I, I do it on Angelina love. Now you didn't need to add that second part to it on Halloween. You dressed up as Angelina clearly trying to antagonize her. That was funny. Okay. That but, was hilarious. And also, that wig was really good. 
it's not like I dressed up as like an ugly version of Angelina or like no. did something to disrespect her. I literally dressed up like exactly as she is. I didn't do a disservice to her. No. Like it was kind of a tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. But like it wasn't offensive. I didn't say anything derogatory about her. I didn't imply anything negative about her by wearing the costume. That was hilarious. And screw them if they can't take a joke. Okay. All right. And as we're like, just like throwing out all of those things unprovoked, you can't claim that any of those things were unprovoked, Kevin. Like she's been coming after me since I stepped foot in ring of honor. Like, so if I make passing barbs at her or something like that, or take something onto Twitter, it's because we cannot actually see each other in person anymore. Like you have seen the things that like the camera has caught and things that we've said in interviews, but you don't see any of my interactions with her outside of that. You don't have to see me whenever I have to get ready in the same locker room as her. You don't have to see me whenever I have to like be near her in catering and like try to be professional whenever she tries to be anything but. And so like now there's a pandemic and Mandy brought it up. She was like, you thought that you could talk, say all of these things and that you would never have any retribution for it and you would never have to pay these dividends. And that's not true because I knew that Angelina Love's an adult woman and if she wanted to, she could get on a plane, she could come find me anytime that she wanted. And she did. And that was a risk that I took. And unfortunately for me, that didn't pay off. But what it did do was light a fire under me. And now I'm ready. I'm never going to be caught off guard again because she entered my domain regardless of the things that I had said about her. Okay, because so she deserved every single thing that I said. I've never said anything that wasn't true. Okay, well, I mean, I, look, I, I, a lot of the things you say about the allure, I actually agree with you on. Um, I, in fact, when they first came to Ring of Honor, I wrote basically a lot of the things that you're saying now, that they are going to put a stain on the women's division because that's what they do, and they're all about themselves. All those things are true. Um, but I just, you know, I wrote my, I said my piece, I wrote it and, and then I moved on. Um, I don't know that I would have continued to, I don't know if antagonize is the right word, but anyway, so you said basically though, you just said that you weren't, it wasn't unexpected that Angelina could get on a plane and come after you. No, because I would hope that as much as we push each other, that eventually she would push back with more than just words. I didn't expect her to do it on week by week when my back was turned because I thought that even for Angelina Love, that was a little low. Okay. Um, there's an old saying that discretion is the better part of valor. Should you maybe forget about fighting Angelina Love? I mean, when you look at your limited amount of experience in the ring and a 20-year veteran a seven-time former world champion. She calls herself the badass of the, of the allure, and she backs that up. I mean, I'm just asking. I think that even though she has 20 years of experience on me and she's the badass of the allure, She's a bully at the end of the day. And even if I can't stack up against her, I know that I'm stronger than her and smarter than her. And I'm definitely a better person. So she can do whatever she wants to me. 
whenever I finally meet her in the ring. She could beat me to hell. But I know I've got a lot more heart than she does. And she'll give up way before I do. Because all she cares about is herself and making a name for Angelina Love. But she should be an icon. She should be a legend. And she's not. All she does is sow mistrust and misunderstanding and discontent and toxicity every locker room she goes to. And she will not do it at the company that I love. I don't care that she's the biggest star in our women's division. I don't care that she's a legend because she's not acting like it. And I guess at the end of the day, it's this. She can kick my ass if she wants to, but I'm going to give her a run for her money. Angelina Love is a legend, and I just want her to act like it. Why not let someone like Maria Manic or Session Moth or Nicole, any of the women in our locker room who have so much more experience than you do, why not let them handle Angelina Love and you handle the microphone? She physically assaulted me, Kevin. Are you going to ask someone else to fight your battles for you? I think that would be a wake, honestly, I think that would be a wake-up call. I mean, I, what's next? I mean, are we going to have Ian Riccoboni challenging Jay Lethal or Ian and Bobby Cruz decide they want to fight the Briscoes? Because you know what? You man, have seen Ian Riccoboni. Hey, Ian Riccoboni, for the record, is undefeated in a wrestling ring for a commentator. So how dare you yeah. bring Ian into this? But and also, like, no, was, I'm not. That was a joke. That was a joke match that he was in. Angelina Love is not a joke. And it's not going to be a joke when you get in the ring with her. Kevin, I'm not a joke either. Like, whenever you say things like this and you use that snarky tone in your articles, you're undercutting who I am. Like, you're undercutting my character. And what have, what have I, first of all, like, what have I ever done to you to deserve that? And second of all, you're just allowing people to think that I am a joke. Because like, you make jokes of it, it allows other people to think that I'm a joke. And I'm not. You haven't seen what I'm capable of. Angelina Love hasn't seen what I'm capable of. And I'm going to keep that very close to the chest. Okay. I'm, it's I'm the last possible moment. I'm not making jokes, but look, uh, like, and I don't want this to get any, you know, this is getting contentious. I don't want it to. But, you know, say snarky articles or whatever. I get paid to have an opinion. I'm a columnist and I have to call it as I see it. I like you. I think you're a good person. I don't necessarily like Angelina Love, but I have to be objective and I can't, you know, I have to write it as I see it. And I just think it's, I don't know, for, for you to be thinking that you should be in the ring with Angelina Love. Yeah, I give you credit. It, you're brave. You're courageous. Hey, you know, you got balls. Okay, great. Um, I don't think it's going to turn out well for you. And I feel bad that that is going to happen. Um, you know, I know you took issue with me. You mentioned, you mentioned about, you know, stacking up next to Angelina. And I know you're talking about maybe her years of experience and her skill level, but even from a physical standpoint, let's talk about, I mean, she's got six inches on you. Um, you know, you pound for pound, I'm way, I'm way heavier than she is, I'm way you, stronger than she is. I know you got upset when I called you diminutive. I mean, it's all, like, is this like a Napoleon complex or something that you feel like because you're small? A, a Napoleon complex? Yeah. Have you ever seen me in a, have you ever seen me out of the bow tie? Have you ever seen me like 
without a button up on, Kevin? Have you ever actually seen the way that I'm built? Have you ever actually seen how hard that I work? Well, you know, a lot of people are warriors in the gym. That doesn't mean that they can go into the ring with a 20-time world champion. Just, I mean, did I say 20 20-year veteran and seven-time world champion? I mean, you know, otherwise every person that's in the gym and fit would, would think they could come in and do this. So You're right. A lot of people don't do that, but I do. A lot of people have not done what I have done, but I have. I told you my biggest fear is failure because it's true. Okay. Well, I, go ahead. I'm going to give you. I, under, I understand that the deck is stacked against me. You don't have to remind me of that every single time that we have a conversation or put it in an article because it is something that I'm intimately familiar with. I'm intimately acquainted with the idea that I'm going into this with a very low chance of actually changing anything. But who am I if I don't try? Okay. I mean, again, I, as I said, that is admirable. And I do this, admire- Yes, it is. It's admirable because that's what this is about. People talk all the time about restoring honor to this division in Ring of Honor and that division in Ring of Honor. And I got in trouble on Twitter the other day with a bunch of fans and a bunch of people because I called people out for not caring about the women's division because it's true. A lot of people do not care about the women's division. <sighs> I share that with you. I, do, I, as, I care about the women's division as well. And I do think what you're doing is admirable. I just, again, this But you is don't, no, but you don't understand. Like I get that like, you, res, you, you respect us. I understand that. And I respect that about you. But you, you don't get it. Because what I'm saying is that everyone talks about restoring honor. Women of, women of Honor, for the longest time, wasn't even a brand by itself. It was secondary. We weren't even part of the company. Now, we're the Ring of Honor women's division. But this, between me and Angel, this isn't about restoring honor to anything. Women of Honor, the Ring of Honor women's division, has never had it. This is about establishing it. So I have to stand for something. She doesn't. Okay. Again, I And I we understand. desperately need it. I get it. And I'm... I'm you know, I, again, I will, I'm trying to be objective, but outside of that, uh, I, I'm rooting for you. I, I, you know, I'm rooting for you to do this because I do think Angelina and Mandy do need to be taught a lesson. I just think it's- They don't need to be taught a lesson. They need to be taught how to be team players. They need to be taught that not everything is about them. They need to be taught that they need to respect the people that they work with. I just think the person to teach them that lesson is someone with a little bit more experience. That's all. That's what it comes down to is to walk out of the ROH dojo. And let's be honest, you talked about it. You put your training to the side to focus on being an on-air personality. And I know you're going back and you're going to dedicate yourself to training. I know you said that, but to go from that little bit of experience to walking into the ring with Angelina Love, you know, it, it's a death wish. I mean, that's just, that's my opinion. That's my, you can agree with it or disagree with it, but that's my opinion. So I die. If you want her to get to somebody with more experience, you want someone else to teach them a lesson, you think that that would be better, fine, maybe it'll happen. But she's going to have to go through me to get to them first. And I'm not a hurdle. I'm a roadblock. Okay. Well, I was going to give you the final word. Um, is that your, that's, that's a pretty good way to end it, I would think, unless you have uh, anything else you'd like to say on the subject? I've, I've said my piece. I don't have anything else to say to you. I honestly don't. 
Okay, well, I hope you can understand, as I said, I'm just doing my job the same way you do yours. I hope you can respect that, that it's just my opinion. And, uh, you know, you, like I said, you don't have to agree with it, but I have been an observer of this business for quite, quite a long time, you know, probably before you were born. Uh, so I've seen a lot of things and, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt or you can put stock in it or not, but it, it, I don't think it's going to turn out well for you. And that makes me unhappy, but you got to do what you got to do. And I, again, I do respect the fact that you're going to stand up for yourself and you're trying to prove a point. I admire you. Uh, I want to see what I'm not happens. just, I'm not just standing up for myself and I want you to stop thinking about me in the same way that you think about Angelina love where she's doing this for herself. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for ring of honor. I'm doing this for every locker room that Angelina love has ever disgraced. This is to stop her in her tracks. She should be better than she is. I used to idolize her. I used to want to be her. Well, that's and now she's a bully. That's a final point we can agree on, is that Angelina, as good as she is and as accomplished as she is, she should be better than what we've seen from her as far as her behavior. There's no question about that. Her and Mandy... Um, as, as you said, ever since the Allure came together, they've, they've done nothing positive for the division, except for they've, they've given it some level of prestige because of what they've accomplished, but they haven't done anything outside of that to make it better in the locker room and, and in other areas. So I think we, you know, we actually have some common ground in some, in some instances, but I will, I will end it there. And I will say uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and, uh, you know, I hope we can, uh, I wish you all the best of luck in the world. That's, that's how I'm going to end it is, is the best of luck to you. I don't know when her suspension is going to be over. Um, I don't know at what point we'll actually see this match come off, but I certainly wish you a lot of luck. Yeah. Well, Godspeed. All right. And, and I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, remember a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong.